Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I was actually reading a different verse, which I'll come to in a few minutes. And when I was re- reading this other verse, this verse was lasered into my brain. Do you ever get that? You ever get it when Bible verses are just like lasered into your brain, just zapped in there? It's not like you go through some kind of cognitive process of thinking, oh, I need to think of a verse. It just, just comes right in there. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. Um, sorry, it's King James that we read together said, thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Apparently the Hebraicism there is kind of interesting because literally is end, to give you an end and expectation. Expectation is a good thing to have, isn't it? So it's kind of like expect that something good is going to happen. <laughs> it's a much better way of living than under dread. That's going to be the opposite <laughs> expectation, dread. Um, but I'm amplified here. It says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. Hope in your final outcome. Other modern translations say something like... Um, the ESV says to give you a hope and a future, or they might say to give you hope and a future. Um, God just kind of lasered that into my brain when I was reading another verse. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty positive, isn't it? That, that God wants us to have hope. And the Bible says that these three things endure faith, hope, and love. And hope is an expectation of future improvement. That's what hope is. False hope is an incorrect expectation of future improvement. A lot of the world has passing false hopes. Even as Christians, we can open our hearts to false hopes. We kind of get into different things, different passing things, different times, thinking that get garnering from them a kind of like a, you kind of get a little lift. I mean, you get a little lift if you go shopping, right? Ladies, especially ladies, you get something, you get a kind of, there's a little kind of lift in that. There's a couple of things that give you kind of a little lift. Um, and, and that's, all, that's all fine, but um, ultimately, a lot of things transpire to be false hopes. It's an expectation of future improvement, but it's a false expectation of future improvement based on something. But in Jesus, we have a true expectation of future improvement, both in this world and in the world to come, because we know that he is conforming us from one degree of glory to another. He's doing that. And so we have, a, we have a right, true expectation of future improvement here on earth as we learn more about him we, and learn to walk with him more and appreciate him more and worship him and serve him. Um, and we, of course, we have a, a, an expectation, a huge expectation of future improvement um, <clears throat> in the world to come. And actually, even in this world, too, based on the things that Jesus is going to do. <clears throat> um, Bless God. So God has given us a hope, a hope and a future. And he's given us a future as well. And he's told us future. That's pretty cool too, isn't it? That's really neat. Do you ever think about that? That before you were a Christian, you didn't know the future, but now you know the future? That's pretty amazing. You actually know the future. God wants us to know things about the future. And he has written them down in the Bible like this week, I'm not going to get into this, but this week I was reading Isaiah chapter 11. talks about the, um, 
it's a, messi uh, a messianic prophecy talking about, um, how does it say that? The, the, the root that will spring up out of the stump of Jesse yeah. in Isaiah 11. It's a really famous prophecy in Isaiah. But the cool thing about it is um, this guy is just so in the clouds, um, you know, 600 years or 700 years before Jesus in like the same paragraph He's predicting the first advent of Jesus. And a sentence later, he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes down to planet Earth to rule and to reign. And about a sentence later, he's talking about a time when the whole Earth will be renewed. And the lion will lie down with the whatever it all says in there. Kids playing with snakes and stuff like that. You know, in that passage, right? It says it all there, you know. It's going to happen on the new Earth. So... Yeah, God has told us the future. It's right there in the Bible. So we have hope and a future. That's amazing. That's the kind of God we serve. Um, because we don't have to get worried when we read the news. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about the next election. We don't have to worry about um, uh, anti-Christian governments coming in in America or legislation or whatever. We don't have to worry about that. Because guess what? It's all going to play into the hands of our God. And ultimately, Jesus is going to come back pretty soon and straighten it all out. Like, it'll all play. And, and I mean, it's going to play into the hands of the church in America. We need suffering. We need some crazy things to happen. We really desperately need some crazy things to happen in this country to shake the church out of the sleep that it is in. So, praise God. He's told us the future. So, we, he's given us a hope in the future. But... Moving on from that, that was just my kind of introductory verse. God lasered that verse into my brain when I was reading this verse. If you turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. So we're talking about how God's given us a hope, hope. And he's told us future and he's given us a future and he's got the future covered and he knows the future and he's told us some of the future. And the future is as bright as the promises of God. But in Psalm 19, we have an interesting statement. Remember that song, that scripture song that we learned for Psalm 19? Uh, how does it go? Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. And it kind of goes on like that. Is that and more to be desired are they than gold, ye than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then verse 11 says, moreover by them... Is thy servant warned? Hey, that's what you were just speaking about, David. Being warned by the precepts and the laws and the commandments and the word of God. Thy servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Great reward. And forgive me for repeating myself, because I mentioned this in the last few weeks. Um, but we noticed this theme in 
the Sermon on the Mount, when we're talking about some different themes in the Sermon on the Mount, of the theme of God as a rewarder. Like, that is his nature, and that is what he is doing. We're laying up treasure for heaven, for a concrete place, a real place. Um, and we were reminded that anyone that comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is a reward there of those that diligently seek him. And then I ran into this again. I was like, Lord, I can't get away from this. And in the keeping of them, the precepts, the statutes, the commands, the testimonies, ultimately the word of the Lord, is great reward, it says here. I want to speak about that for a second. See, it seems to me, we're talking about hope and the future and this being part of the hope of our Christian life is the reward that God has for us. See, in, um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. We're, we're making some deposits in our spiritual bank account here. Our heavenly retirement account. Nick's doing a great job with those scriptures back there because I'm just totally jumping around in my notes and not following the game plan, but he's doing a good job pulling those verses up. That's good. So it seems to me that if we have an overly simplistic view of heaven, then we may be less motivated than we should be as Christians. Have you ever read these great missionary accounts and wondered to yourself, what possessed these people to lay down their lives to such a degree as they did? I recently told you how me and the boys were reading about William, um, Thank you, Sam. That was his name, William Carey, the father of modern missions, who put his wife, his kids, his whole family on a sailboat for five months. They were almost shipwrecked in the Indian Ocean. And they got to India to be greeted by extreme poverty. They had no supporters. Or they, excuse me, they did have a little, that's not correct. They did set up the, uh, one of the first ever mission societies to support them, but they still didn't have a whole lot of money. They were fighting with uh, indigenous diseases, poverty, trusting God for food. It's like, what would possess someone? What would motivate someone to live a life of self-sacrifice seeking to establish the kingdom of God on earth? Did it ever occur to us that part of the reason may be that these people had a vision and a theology of heaven and the future and what was to be gained through it that drove them on? Hey, listen, the businessmen of this world and the sportsmen and the people that are trying to be successful in the world, you better believe they know exactly what they're working for. And they're driven and they're spurred on to succeed just to make a name for themselves and to gain money. They have a concrete knowledge 
of what exactly what they're working for. And we need to have the same thing in the kingdom of God. That we'll be spurred on to love and to good works. So if we just think that now that we are um, saved, kind of put some little quotation marks around that. Um, by the way, the word of God does say, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. It says, of course, we have been saved, but we're also being saved. And if we were and are truly saved, we will fight to the end for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ because we love him with an undying love. So, but if we just think that now that we are saved and therefore that we've gained heaven, some kind of ethereal, vague view of heaven, so that basically there's nothing left to fight for, to labor for with passion as if there was something at stake, we may end up being, if that's our mindset, our mentality, our theology, we may end up being uninspired, demotivated Christians. And the reason that we would be is because we are deceived. Because the truth sets us free as we obey it. See, being deceived is when you think that things are one way and you're acting upon an incorrect presumption when things are actually another way altogether. And God's word reveals things in a level of detail that God wants them revealed. There are levels of detail that God wants us to know about heaven or about the future in general. Now, he may not have chosen to reveal all the details, but may God help us to know it to the degree to which he has made possible in his word. And he wants us to know it from his word. So that the implications and effects that follow on from that knowledge, from having a, a, accurate biblical pictures, impacts us in the positive way that he wants. Does that make sense? Do we have a right picture of what God's painted in the Bible? We'll have the right motivation that follows on from that. <clears throat> When we acknowledge that God is, is a rewarder and that there are many rewards that we have actually already won. Yeah. I'm getting back to our verse. We just read it in Psalm 19. It says, in the keeping of them is great reward. I don't believe God has a whole bunch of rewards stored up for us and works that he has preordained for us that are outside of our reach like it's some kind of sick greyhound race. You ever see those greyhound races where they bring out this, is that a real rabbit or a fake rabbit? I don't know. And it goes around the track like a couple of feet in front of the greyhounds. No. That's not my God. No, what he has for us, the, re the rewards that he lays up for us, the good works that he has preordained for us and the rewards that go with them, <clears throat> They are attainable by the grace of God. As we trust him, as we talk to him, he's going to lead us into them. Praise God. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. So we started just talking about how God has given us a hope and a future. This is part of our future, to live in the, on the new earth with the rewards that we won that God has rewarded us with from our life on this earth. Wow. 
That has some implications right there. Um, now, in our verse, I was very interested in this verse in Psalm 19. Like I said, I know we've been in this theme in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And then I saw it right here in Psalm. I was like, I can't get away from this. God's re the rewards of God. It's like you start noticing things. When you notice it, you notice it other places in the Bible. It's like when you get a certain car and you notice those cars all over town. When you notice a certain thing in the Bible and then you notice it all over the Bible. It's like, here it is again. There is great reward. In the keeping of them, there is great reward. Let's think about that for a second. All that's been referred to here is obedience to the precepts of God. God says that in the keeping of his word and his precepts, there is great reward. Did you know that you already have a great reward waiting on you based on your life, you, that you're living a life, you're committed to obeying the word of God, right? And by God's grace and with his help, you've been able to be obedient to the things that he said to do in the Bible and the things that he said not to do in the Bible. But already based on that, he has a great reward waiting for you. True. I, now, I believe that that um, could well refer to more than simply the general reward of being in heaven alone. I mean, being in a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin. When you live in a renewed body with a renewed mind. Wow. And God's there and his presence is tangible and his glory. And the whole earth is renewed. You think about the most beautiful spots on planet earth now. And you're like, whoa. Right? When you're up in the mountains or, or by the sea. And you're like, wow, this is like beautiful. This is amazing. No, it's going to be whoo, far out, way past and all that, what I'm speaking about here, I believe, is something beyond the generic reward of just being there. I believe he's going to have specific rewards for us based upon what we have done. Hallelujah. And if I'm correct, what it's saying here is that simply based upon your life of obedience to the word of God, there's going to be great reward just for that. Now, does that not tell you how good God is already? Because like, no, we're obeying God. And we were thinking, hey, like Jesus saved us. Wow, that's amazing. I just want to obey him. I mean, I just owe it to God. I just want to obey him. Like, it's just like a no-brainer that we're going to obey God now because we love him and he saved us. God's like, oh, that's cool, but I'll reward you for that too. Whoa, God, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. But to think that, and, and, and as far as I know, maybe somebody, a greater scholar than I may be able to um, go into more detail, but as far as I know, for the most part, the, although the Bible's very clear about reward and being rewarded, it's not specific about the exact nature of those, some of those rewards, but I trust God. <laughs> I know that God is a good giver of gifts tailor-made for each and every one of us, specific to each and every one of us. Um, 
Hmm. That's good news. But to think that what it says here, great reward simply for obeying the word of God and God's will. Now, now you're only just getting started. Oh, by the way, um, I wasn't quite settled on a name for this sermon. Um, but one possible title would be A Wee Peek at Your Bank Balance. That translates out of Scottish as a small look at your bank balance. Like just when you look at Psalm 19 there, just to take a little peek at what you've got, what you've already, the rewards you've already won simply through obeying God thus far in your life. Okay? And that's just for obeying the precepts and the written word of God. What about the other things that by God's grace you have done that God is not going to overlook. You're not like necessarily looking for a reward or expecting it. And God's like, no, that you're gonna, I'm going to get you for that. I'm going to get you back for that. <laughs> and God's good. Think about every time that you've obeyed the Holy Spirit. Never mind just the precepts of the Lord, the written word of the Lord, that we've all endeavored to say, okay, I'm going I'm to live for you, Jesus. If it's in this book, by God's grace and with your help, that's what I'm going to... But what about every time that you have obeyed the Holy Spirit? That God has laid something on your heart, spoken into your spirit, aside from the general precepts of the Word of God, specific and particular to your life. You probably can't even remember them all now. But God can. You think Google knows a lot about you? Psalm 139, right? God knows everything about you, everything about your past is, in fact, it's all recorded. It says that, uh, something about the book of life, and then immediately after that it says, and then the other books were open. One book of just whether you made it or not, but then after that, then there's the books of the works and the exploits of God as we've walked with the Spirit of God. No, God hasn't forgotten every single obedience to the Holy Spirit by, your great, by God's grace that you've held on for. And he, He's going to have you more than covered for that. Praise God. He is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. And that doesn't even mention all the other things that by God's grace, we're looking at our bank balance thus far. What is waiting for us thus far? We still got by God's grace um, hopefully at least a few more hours left on planet Earth, right? Amen. I wouldn't mind if I didn't, but I'm guessing probably have at least a few more hours left. Uh, a few more hours to gain more rewards. <laughs> we mentioned oh, this Psalm 19 speaks specifically about obedience to the Word of God. I mentioned obedience to the Holy Spirit that God has you rewarded for. What about every act of sacrifice that you have ever done? Do you know what sacrifice is? It's when you do something for someone else, but guess what? It costs you. You lose out because of it. Whether that was uh, financial giving. Now there's giving, that's good, but then there's sacrificial giving. That's what the widow did, right? It says she put in all that she had to live on. It wasn't just spare cash lying around. No, she was, going to, she was going to miss something because of it. After she gave, she would 
no longer have something that she needed. Think of all the times that you have given sacrificially, whether financially or whether just in acts of kindness or service. You didn't say anything to anyone. The other person probably didn't even know. But when you went over there and you went to help something out, it was costing you at the other end. Nobody else knew. Something else was missing out. Somebody else was missing out. Something couldn't happen because of that. Um, God knew. And the reward that you have waiting for you because of those things, in one place it says an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all, right? That's talking about suffering. Um, but not only does he have, he said it here, he has great reward just for obedience to the word. The, then your, your obedience to the Holy Spirit, your sacrificial acts of giving and acts of love. Man, are you excited yet? It's piling up. Hallelujah. But here's the good news. You've got more time on planet earth Amen. to add to your riches in heaven. Store up for yourselves riches in heaven. <clears throat> Think of that. Heaven is forever. Isn't God amazing that we got this little pilgrimage on planet earth? The word of God says that we're saved and we are being saved. Why don't we just like get raptured out here the minute we're saved? I mean, if we're ready for heaven and there's nothing else to do, if God was halfway sensible, he would just take us out of here, right? Mm -mm. We're saved and we're being saved. We're on a journey on planet Earth because we're not ready yet. I mean, we're ready, but we're not ready. Because God wants to increase our capacity to appreciate heaven. If we're going to be there forever, God wants us to be ready to know how to live in heaven and relish it to the utmost. To the utmost. So that's why he leaves us in the planet Earth. We've got the rest of our, 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 our college class to finish. Before, before we have the final test and we graduate, right? And he's preparing us for heaven, but we get to pull other people into heaven too. We are determining the outcome of eternity. There's souls waiting on every single one of us through our words, through our acts, through our actions, through our sacrifice, through our love. And isn't God amazing that we just have this short, temporary time on earth to decide eternity to decide the rewards to decide what it's going to be like we have a short period of time this earth to worship Jesus to obey God to obey the Holy Spirit to um, <clears throat> to lay down our lives to sacrifice our lives for others to pull down as much of his kingdom as possible through prayer fasting love giving obeying the Holy Spirit and the word we have this short time to do that and then the window will be closed forever. Remember what Mark Cahill said, his book was called, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. You're never going to be able to love a lost person again, ever, for eternity. You're never going to be able to tell a lost person the gospel forever. We've got the short window and it'll be closed. Eternity will be set at that time. The reward will be set. 
you will not be able to make any more deposits or win any more rewards for your eternal bank account. And I know there's so many um, pictures and analogies and cartoon scripts about, you know, Peter at the gates and all this stuff, but just the devil wants the idea of heaven to be this ethereal, vague thing. It's concrete. It'll be more real than standing in this room right now with an intelligent, systematic society. It's where you'll live forever. It's worth working for. It's worth working for right now. It's worth working for. I just Googled uh, one of my old college roommates again. He, uh, he started an energy company in Britain and uh, obtained a license from the government to, to start an energy company because he wanted to sell a product that every single household in Britain would need. And, um, and he was able to uh, transact uh, a merger acquisition in January of this year that made his company the second largest energy company in Britain. Yeah. About after he was a couple of years in, he cashed in the sum of his shares and bought two million two or three million dollar mansion in the country. Um, man, I feel sorry for that dude. Honestly. I, I hope and pray that Jesus will save him. Because he's spending all his energy on all the accolades and the riches of this world, which are absolutely useless in a couple of decades. That, that's not intelligent. Here we are, we're little nobodies sitting in a cornfield with regular houses and regular neighborhoods we're not that important that our driver takes us to appointments because we're so productive with our time that we can't waste time holding on a steering wheel. We're really important. We're making calls. We're making stuff happening. <laughs> no, we're not that dumb. Jesus saved us. And we've got eternity to live for and heaven to win. God, thank you. Thank you that you're, uh, you're not a socialist. <laughs> yes, you have, uh, you have a reward system. And you've given us the grace, God, and the vision and the motivation to work. Well, it is yet day to work and to be ready for the full enjoyment of heaven. Help us, God. Help each and every one of us. Help me, God. Help us in our vision of the concreteness and reality of this so that like David, we will run towards the Goliath. We will run towards self-sacrifice. We will run towards love and self-sacrifice and to fight for your kingdom and just to pray and enjoy you and to live for you and do your will with all our might. In Jesus' name, amen.